Welcome to the Subtle Cane Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Smith, broadcasting from the Aorta of America, beautiful festival city, Oshkosh, Wisconsin, where we pump out reason and pierce through the propaganda. Here we go. To all the new listeners, welcome, we're glad to have you. To the returning visitors, thank you. You are either a masochist or very curious. Both are welcome at the Subtle Cane Podcast. Today we're going to talk about some philosophy again. However, it will not be a basic lesson about how reasoning works. It's going to be a little more involved. And when I mean involved, I also mean a little more interesting, at least I think. Socrates uh, was a famous philosopher in ancient Greece. Underneath him uh, studied another philosopher named Plato. Plato had a brother named Glaucon, an older brother, a less famous brother, but he will be featured in today's podcast as well. In Plato's The Republic, he has a dialogue between his brother and Socrates called The Allegory of the Cave. This might ring some bells or at least make you think, well, I've heard something like this before. Or it just might smack you in the face and say, hey man, I watched The Matrix too. But this is like the pre-prequel to The Matrix. It's a very, I think, a very prescient thing for him to write. I think it's a very relevant thing to talk about now. And that's why I wanted to bring it to the forefront a little bit. And it, it goes along the lines of what we're talking about as far as what are our perceptions And what kind of attachments do we have to those perceptions? How important is our view of reality to us? And if that view of reality is upset because of new information, are we able to? Do we have the courage to embrace that? For a lot of people, the answer is no. And now that's also, I, I don't want to point at that like that's a character flaw because I mean, we're human beings. We want comfort. We want safety. We want reliability. And in order to shift your paradigm, it it, it can be very difficult. As I said in the last podcast, we have to always be willing to question. And some of the questions give us answers that we're not so excited about. So I'm not going to really be getting into modern day application per se. But of course, it will be implied, and we will want to ask a couple questions just to verify the type of reasoning that's being used, and and not so much focus on the mechanics of it as focus on the implications of it. So, without further ado, this is episode two, Don't Go Breaking My Illusion. So to get started, I thought it would be helpful to read you a portion. So this is the beginning of the allegory of the cave. It's kind of the setting the scene, which is actually what it is labeled, okay, Uh, as translated by Thomas Sheehan. I will have a PDF of this in the show notes, or a link to the PDF anyways, so that you can go back if it's interesting to you um, and go over it a little more on your own, uh, be able to dig into it a little deeper. So, this is part one, setting the scene, the cave and the fire. The cave, Socrates. 
Imagine this. People live under the earth in a cave-like dwelling. Stretching a long way up toward the daylight is its entrance, toward which the entire cave is gathered. The people have been in this dwelling since childhood, shackled by the legs and neck. Thus they stay in the same place so that there is only one thing for them to look at, whatever they encounter in front of their faces. But because they are shackled, they are unable to turn their heads around. A fire is behind them, and there is a wall between the fire and the prisoners. Socrates says, Some light, of course, is allowed them, namely from a fire that casts its glow toward them from behind them, being above and at some distance. Between the fire and those who are shackled, i.e. behind their backs, there runs a walkway at a certain height. Imagine that a low wall has been built the length of the walkway, like the low curtain that puppeteers put up, over which they show their puppets, images carried before the fire, Socrates says. So now imagine that all along this low wall people are carrying all sorts of things that reach up higher than the wall, statues and other carvings made of stone or wood, and many other artifacts that people have made. As you would expect, some are talking to each other as they walk along, and some are silent. Glaucon. This is an unusual picture that you are presenting here, and these are unusual prisoners. Socrates. They are very much like us humans. I, Socrates, responded. What the prisoners see and hear. Socrates. What do you think? From the beginning, people like this have never managed, whether on their own or with the help of others, to see anything besides the shadows that are continually projected on the wall opposite them. By the glow of the fire. Glaucon. How could it be otherwise, since they are forced to keep their heads immobile for their entire lives? Socrates. And what do they see of the things that are being carried along behind them? Do they not simply see these shadows? Glaucon. Certainly. Socrates. Now, if they were able to say something about what they saw and talk it over, do you not think that they would regard that which they saw on the wall as beings? They would have to. Socrates. And now what if this prison also had an echo reverberating off the wall in front of them, the one that they always and only look at? Whenever one of the people walking behind those in chains and carrying the things would make a sound, do you think the prisoners would imagine that the speaker were anyone other than the shadow passing in front of them? Glaucon. Nothing else, by Zeus. Socrates. All in all, I responded. Those who were chained would consider nothing besides the shadows of the artifacts as the unhidden. Glaucon. That would absolutely have to be. So this is a remarkable picture and why I brought up The Matrix. Because if you've seen The Matrix, um, it does a very modernized version of this in a sense. So this is the picture that he's painting. I don't, it's hard to maybe really visualize it as you're listening to me read it off. Picture just a a row of people. Let's just do a row of people in our heads. Sitting, chained so that they are stuck, just staring forward at the wall of the cave, okay? And behind them, there's a fire. And, you know, you've all done shadow puppets and, um, you know, done the little bunny ears and all that, right? So what's going on behind them is there's a fire burning. And in front of that fire, there is people walking back and forth and they have these 
artifacts that they're carrying around, but you can't see the people themselves because there's a curtain. So you just see the shadows of these artifacts going back and forth, and, and you hear the voices of the people walking back and forth talking. So this is the only sense of reality that they have. The only thing they've ever known is the artifacts' shadows that they see on the wall. And you can see where that analogy of the Matrix comes in now, where that's a much more complex and uh, terrifying vision <laughs> than than just the shadows. But, uh, well, maybe not. Being chained like that would be pretty terrifying, wouldn't it? But that's their sense of reality. That's all they know, okay? So that's setting the scene. There's these people that have been living their entire lives shackled, watching this drama unfold, this shadow drama unfold on the wall. And that is their sense of reality. We know, because we're hearing the story, that we're like, well, that's not reality, man. You're watching shadows on the wall. But that's all they know. So this is part one. This is how he sets the scene. This is, this is what he wants us to picture. And in the end, he talks about, uh, no, man, these guys are just like us. This is what we do. The implication, once, once you let it set in, once you think about that, and now having the context that we have with technology and the ability to envision this in a, in a much more dynamic way, you know, like a VR kind of a, a vision of the world, right? And as we go on here, we're going to talk a little more about, he's going to get a little further into the story. And the next part of the story is freedom. It's called freedom stage one. It's a little bit shorter and I am going to read through it for you. We'll just talk about it quick. And then I think because uh, this is free, there's freedom stage two, there's also freedom stage three, and then there is the prisoner returns to the cave. Okay. So it would be a very long podcast for you to listen to if I went through the whole thing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read freedom stage one. We're going to let that set in and I'm going to save the rest of it uh, for the next podcast. So this is Freedom Stage 1. A prisoner gets free. Socrates. So now, I replied, watch the process whereby the prisoners are set free from their chains, and, along with that, hear of their lack of insight, and likewise consider what kind of lack of insight must be if the following were to happen to those who were chained. Walks back to the fire. Socrates. Whenever any of them was unchained and was forced to stand up suddenly, to turn around, to walk, and to look up toward the light, in each case the person would be able to do this only with pain, and because of the flickering brightness, would be unable to look at those things whose shadows he previously saw, is questioned about the objects. Socrates. If all this were to happen to the prisoner, what do you think he would say if someone were to inform him that what he saw before were mere trifles, but that now he was much nearer to beings, and that, as a consequence of now being turned toward what is more in being, he also saw more correctly. The answer he gives, Socrates. And if someone were then to show him any of the things that were passing by and forced him to answer the question about what it was, don't you think he would be at wit's end and in addiction would consider that what he previously saw with his own eyes was more unhidden 
than what was now being shown to him by someone else? Glaucon. Yes, absolutely. Looking at the firelight itself. And if someone even forced him to look into the glare of the fire, would his eyes not hurt him? And would he not then turn away and flee back to that which he is capable of looking at? And would he not decide that what he could see before without any help was in fact clearer than what was now being shown to him? Glaucon, precisely. Okay, so the picture here is that a prisoner is released and allowed to stand up and turned around and, you know, the the illusion was shattered, okay? The little bit of light that he's had his whole life has shown him just these shadows, and he thought those shadows were beings. He thought those shadows were reality. He stands up, he turns around, and reality is just broken. The fire, it hurts his eyes. And, he, you know, when you walk, if you walk outside from a dark room, or someone turns the light on when you're trying to sleep in bed, it is uh, very shocking, right? The The light hurts your eyes, you can't, you can't focus, it's hard to see what you're looking at, it's hard to get your wits about you. So this is what is happening. The prisoner is questioned, and, and he's not... He's not really ready to accept what he's seeing, and it's upsetting to him, it's disorienting, and really, he's he's not sure that because it's been his whole life what he's accepted, he is not sure that what he's seeing is more real than what he's known his whole life. And that part of his mind that doesn't want to bend, that doesn't want to accept, is rejecting that idea too, because you got to think, how how attached are you? to your view of the world. I, I'm, I'm very attached to my view of the world, and that's why I have to do what I do and constantly challenge that. We all need to challenge our views of the world. It doesn't mean that we have to be completely unmoored and uncertain, because that's not a safe place to be either. But we have to at least be able to consider when new information comes our way, we have to be able to, to just bear down, let our eyes adjust, and take a good look at what we're looking at and and decide then if what we're looking at is right or if it's wrong or if it if it's actually more true than what we've been looking at in the past what we have perceived in the past and so i think this has been happening to a lot of people uh, all around the world i see more and more and maybe it's just because of the circles i'm in or what i expose myself to but aren't you starting to feel a little like someone unshackled you are, are do you, are you having moments like that and you're and you're starting to think well, wait a minute this this doesn't really add up i've been told this kind of this, these things my whole life but that just there's something inside you that's just saying you know what i i don't feel like that's that i can completely rely on on what i have taken for granted or have you had those moments and then thought, well, this is very uncomfortable and I don't like it. And I think I'm just going to go take my seat again. Where's my shackles, please? Because like I said earlier, that is not, it, it takes a lot of courage to not do that. But it isn't a deficit in character when you don't do that either. I see people who are seeking truth but then get this kind of uh, 
self-righteousness about it and they start frowning on the people around them that don't see what they see and you know what i i went through a phase where i think i kind of was like that too and i and i you get a little uh you get a little uppity you think maybe that you got all the answers well that happens a lot when you're um, younger than when you're older because when you're older you're like i've been wrong so often that uh well you know there's only there's only a few things in life that you're like, yeah, I got that, but uh, you know, all this other stuff, we're just gonna roll with it. That's a little bit of a, a breakdown, a little start on Socrates conversation with Glaucon from Plato's Republic. I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for taking the time to be here. It's dedication, you know, and um, you are truly appreciated here, and you're valued. We are working on the value for value system here. And I've explained it before. I'll just go over it again real quick. The value for value system. If you find value in what I'm doing here, I would would ask you humbly to return that value. And that way we can continue to have these conversations, continue to further the podcast, to have more resources in the sense of making it a more dynamic show for you. And you can contribute with a monetary donation uh, that can go through PayPal or Venmo. I have a crypto wallet, so I I can accept some cryptocurrency, Um, but it doesn't have to be that. And I don't want you to feel obligated to do that. I just, I don't want to do advertising because I don't think that advertising has a good place in free and open discussion. You know, advertising is manipulation. And as I've said, I understand in the free market society, you need to let people know about your products. But I don't want any kind of outside influence affecting what we're trying to do here. I will have links to all the all the ways that you can help. Um, you can also provide art. If you're a musician, send me some music. I will try to get you some some exposure I was in a couple of bands myself, and uh, we had a lot of fun. We didn't get a lot of exposure. It's not always easy to get that, so I'm happy to help out in that way. I will consider you one of my producers, and that's something that you can even go ahead and slap on your resume. This show is meant to be reciprocal. It's a reciprocal relationship. My email is in is in the show links, and I want you to feel comfortable just reaching out to me with questions, with concerns, feedback, please try to keep it to constructive criticism. Constructive criticism is by its very nature constructive. Those of you who may be a little less restrained or constructive in your criticism will have the opportunity to be part of a segment of the show. I think we will Label as the den of the denizens of discontent. That section of the show will be devoted to my least helpful advice. And will, in return, share advice about the benefits of mental health and productive feedback. I really appreciate you being here. It is an honor and a privilege to share your time. Please know that you are valued, you are loved, and you are worthy. God bless, and good night.
There's no turning back once the fire's lit Let the embers glow and be done with it I'm startled by my lack of fear As a 